Hello, everybody. This is Nir Isakovich from the Applied Ethics Center at UMass Boston. Uh, this is an episode of our uh, Ethics in Action podcast, and my guest today is my colleague and friend, Dana Miranda. Hi, Dana. Hi, Nir. Uh, so Dana is uh, joining us to uh, our delight as an assistant professor this fall at the uh, uh, University of Massachusetts in Boston, and uh, he will be teaching uh, political philosophy, Africana philosophy, um, with an emphasis on uh, the relationship between philosophy uh, and psychiatry, with an emphasis on uh, uh, questions of uh, race theory and critical race theory. Dana is also a faculty fellow at the Applied Ethics Center. And uh, Dana and I, uh, some months ago, had a uh, conversation about uh, Faneuil Hall in Boston and the debate that arose here in Boston about renaming Faneuil Hall. Uh, Peter Faneuil, for whom the hall is named, made the fortune uh, which allowed him to uh, uh, dedicate and fund those buildings from the Atlantic slave trade. And um, given that this is one of the most prominent uh, tourist attractions in the country, discussions have uh, sprung up here about uh, whether its name uh, should be changed. So Dana and I had a really interesting conversation about that, that you could check out in the previous episodes of the podcast, but we both thought it would be interesting to revisit that conversation in light of uh, what's been going on the last few uh, months, uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, protest and the broadening of uh, 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 monument uh, of protests around monuments, toppling of monuments, uh, changing of monuments, defacement of monuments, the language changes, however, wh whatever stance you have on this. Um, and uh, so we thought it would be interesting to revisit that. Dana has a wonderful new piece out on the APA uh, uh, blog, Black, Black Issues uh, in Philosophy, uh, called We All Fall Down about uh, the monuments uh, debate and some of the arguments that are swirling around in that. I will link to Dana's piece on the episode's webpage so you can uh, find that and maybe some other background materials. So with that introduction, uh, Dana is wondering, um, so it does seem like it's one of those tipping point moments when it comes to uh, monuments. What was, even when we talked a few months ago about Faneuil Hall, somewhat of an academic debate became very much a uh, political debate. Uh, and I was wondering what you think, um, is there still room to have these scholarly discussions about monuments once things are actually happening? or? Is this a time when arguments sort of have become irrelevant? Well, I'd never say that arguments become irrelevant. I think that we just have to be reframed in what's actually taking place on the street. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite pedagogical moment that I had as an undergraduate was with the professor who said that reality should always be your primary source. Mm -hmm. um, whatever is going on in the country, the world, um, you're living in it. So if we're going to theorize it uh, or theorize about it, we have to have that time and space. So the piece I just wrote, We All Fall Down, 
it took me looking at the moment, reading pieces, looking at the sites, looking at the actions, but also taking weeks at a time to try to understand and incorporate all my thoughts about, well, what is this moment? Um, what's going on in this country with the Black Lives Matter movement, with indigenous sovereignty, um, with claims of fascism um, abounding across this country or authoritarianism? in asking, well, what does this moment say and what are people doing on the ground in relation to those actions? So a lot of um, academic debates on monuments are new. Of course, as philosophy of history, historians have dealt with monuments, but looking at how history um, combines with political orders and political um, insurrections, revolutions, uprising, protests, I think that's where academics, um, historians, philosophers, political scientists can actually step in and say, hey, there's a lot of think pieces, a lot of um, claims about what's going on. Can we actually analyze it? Can we turn to other historical examples? Can we use philosophy, um, as I do, to actually break down what's going on? Yeah. So with We All Fall Down, it's about, let's look at the six grandfathers better known as um, Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. Let's look at the tumbling of Christopher Columbus statues. Let's look at Confederacy um, statues as well and saying, well, what are the distinctions? Are there any distinctions? Um, are protesters being indiscriminate when they're attacking these monuments or do they actually have cause and reason? And I think a lot of people um, at this moment, so in 2020, do think that there's a problem with Confederacy monuments. They're more willing to take those down but they also have a firm line in the ground saying that we're arguing against the Confederacy. That is a racist institution. That's the slaveholding institution and not really holding a light or a candle to the United States as a whole. So I think for me, at least that's what I wanted to do. Like, let's see their actions. Let's not just think they're indiscriminate. Um, I think they're actually having cause and there's a purpose. So I just wanted to uh, untangle that lesson. Hmm. That's really interesting. So is, is part of what you're saying that being able to feel outrage at a monument of uh, uh, Robert E. Lee or what have you uh, gives you a moral pass, if uh, you want to call it that, from uh, looking at more structural questions? Well, I wouldn't say it gives you a moral pass. I just think uh, <laughs> a lot of people... You have one, right? Yes. Um, it's that having one. Um, it's the performance of it. And again, performativity doesn't mean that it's meaningless or false. It's just, this is what I can do in place of larger structural change. Mm -hmm. So if you tackle Robert E., uh, the Robert E. Ge Lee general statue, again, the Confederacy, the traitor, like there's enough arguments in place that people can say that it's racist and say we should take it down because it's racist. But then when it comes to other statues, then again, you have the slippery slope argument. You have historical erasure, judging people by the standards of their time. Yeah. And really, if you're making distinctions, if George Washington had slaves, Thomas Jefferson had slaves, and Robert E. Lee had slaves, then what people do is they enter into a quagmire. Um, they want to say, well, it's racism plus treason in the Confederacy that's wrong, whereas it's racism enslavement but he also did a lot of great things for this country um, that people try to make that line of demarcation. And with a lot of protesters on the street, they don't want to make that demarcation um, because they're saying a lot of the issues with these founding fathers or other individuals 
are their racism. That's been wiped from our public memory or um, public education. It's a footnote and a lot of black and indigenous people, people of color in the, you wanna say, these are more foundational issues that have been ignored, that have been erased. So we're gonna do something about it. And then we can of course talk about tactics. Right. Um, I guess in this context, to some extent your um, really interesting point about the Confederate statues as an opportunity for virtue signaling, but also that allows people to stay away from uh, the far deeper structural questions. I mean, that raises a critique of uh, this focus on monuments that says, look, this to some extent is a black herring, is, is a red herring that uh, uh, distracts our attention from other things, right? That distracts our attention uh, from um, more meaningful, more uh, questions. What's um, what's your sense of that criticism? That in some sense we're potentially wasting political and, and intellectual energy on these questions, where uh, we could find uh, perhaps areas of practical agreement uh, and make more progress. So. I'm sympathetic to the arguments. I understand where they're coming from. Again, calling monuments or statues cosmetic, symbolic, um, I think erases their deep connections to actual political structure. So when we ask the question, whether in a philosophy class or actually on the street, what is a political structure? What actually structures our publics? I think monuments and statues have always played a part in not only in the United States, but in all polity. Um, there's a famous quote that says, statues are a way of the state speaking to you. And for me, that official narratives do have purchase, um, are important, and I think are not merely symbolic or red herrings, that there are multiple political projects. We don't only have to have one to solve the issue of racism or settler colonial. There's no one political project that can do that. So for people that have to live or cross by that statue every day, if that, they want to see it removed, amended, I think that they should have the opportunity um, to do so. So for me, again, I, these are common arguments um, that we can't devote ourselves to these issues because they are more important structural issues. For my reading, they are part of the structures. Um, governments, municipalities, the federal government all have to, again, invest in these statutes. They may be donated by the Daughters of the Confederacy, but how are they maintained? Those are state and federal funds. And even we know with um, President Trump's um, recent, well, recent executive order on monuments, he's using that protection order to say, um, my federal troops, my border patrol can go into states to protect monuments. So this is the state directly telling you, the federal government directly telling you, monuments are important, particular, of course, particular monuments uh, are important, and we can use state and federal resources to imprison people, to arrest people, um, to go into a city without the permission of the mayor, without the permission of the governor, to enforce order. And I think once you see these clear examples, you see that the state is investing in this. So for me, I read it as part of the structure. It's not merely cosmetic, even though, of course, all monuments have aesthetic features. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. 
you say the state is investing in this because on its side of the government or the federal government we should say is investing in this because from its side of the government these monuments have a sort of psychological shortcut effect they have the sort of emotive impact that allows to distill um a complicated argument into uh, a symbol, right? Into a psychological uh, uh, symbol. And that is politically powerful. I, I guess your argument is what's the reason for giving up the other, for giving up using the same strategy for, uh, for the more virtuous political purpose, right? I mean, in some way, it um, reminds me of uh, uh, when Martin Luther King speaks about the propaganda of peace, that you can't sort of give up uh, all emotive strategies uh, to the other side. Does that, does that resonate as a parallel? Yeah. Um, going back to the, my brief talk about tactics, if we're looking at the present day and depending on how you view the political order in the United States, if you think there are elements of racism that still need to be overturned or uprooted, then why give up any sort of tactic or um, action that can get you there? So there's been a lot of talk about, well, what do we do if we topple a monument? Do we replace it with monuments towards Black people, Indigenous people? Again, these are all part of the questions. There's no one right answer. I think each community has to decide what they want to do with each monument. But I don't think we should get out of the monument game because, again, throughout history, monuments serve an important part of broadcasting, well, what is our political community actually about? What narratives do we tell of ourselves? So people can read histories, they can read poetry, um, they can read um, a lot of information um, or state histories, federal histories. But I think monuments are a tangible, concrete, um, public very public way of broadcasting those narratives. And I think our communities can still make use of that because for me, the monuments can be very beautiful. They can be very moving. They're not just racist, they're not just problematic. It's not only the state. These are actually um, public actions that I don't think, or at least for me personally, I don't want to see them go away. Yeah. Um, so this actually brings us to make explicit uh, a point that you uh, make in uh, the piece, We All Fall Down, um, basically just restating what you just said. You say that monuments uh, are a statement of power in the public square that require a uh, public or political investment to uh, be maintained. So the point is, uh, I take it, uh, that part of the function of a uh, Mount Rushmore or part of the f or, or, or part of the function of a, um, a General Lee statue in Richmond is to say this is what we're about this is who's on top and who's on bottom uh, it's important for us to broadcast this maybe in the beginning you notice it explicitly and then it becomes part of the background but even as part of a background that continues to broadcast and we are going to pay money to keep it clean because it doesn't stay clean by itself we're going to pay money to uh, keep it uh, not rusty because uh, otherwise it oxidizes and we're going to pay money to protect it if you're going to uh, try to threaten it um, so 
is that in, you, in your reading, um, is that a key function of monuments? So I think it's a key function of monuments in the sense that it's part of the narrative of um, creating permanence. That once we have a monument down, when we're setting something in stone or stale or glass, we think, oh, 10 years, that statue has been there, 20 years, 30, 100 years, that same statue or monument has been there. Um, and so we think this is a permanent feature. My grandkids, my great grandkids,